right, praises be to our Father. We're, we have this opportunity again to study his words and his commands. So we continue with the book of Leviticus. Last week, we discussed about the priesthood. God established the priesthood so that the work of sacrifices, the work of intercession that we can be presented to God, or the people during that time can be presented to God and receive his presence can be maintained. So we will continue with the book of Leviticus, and we're going to see that there are certain requirements that God has for his priests. And because we are the priests of God, priests of Yahusha HaMashiach, we are part of the royal priesthood in these last days. And so because we have been called and chosen by God, there are certain expectations that God has of each one of us, one of which is holiness. This is why we need to conduct a serious study about the holiness of our God. Why? Why is holiness so relevant, especially during our time? Not just because it applies to the book of Leviticus, but especially because it applies during these days. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16, it says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy holy for the scriptures say you must be holy because i am holy why should we be serious about holiness because god expects us to be holy why does god expect us to be holy because he is holy and the bible says he called us so that we can be holy just as he is holy now what does it mean to be holy it means to be set apart to be consecrated this is why when we study the book of leviticus we saw how the priests were set apart how they were different from everyone else we have been set apart as well and so we need to live our life not according to the world's customs but according to the words and commandments of god so what is the relevance of holiness when it comes to our work during our time not only does it say be holy in everything you do, Apostle Peter goes on to say in his other book, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 12, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that they will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. According to Apostle Peter, judgment day is going to bring about destruction upon the heavens and the earth. The earth will be laid bare. And when is judgment day going to take place? Raise your hand if you know when judgment day is going to be. You probably don't know, right? Yahusha does not know, the apostles do not know, I do not know, however, what we know is this, it's very near the day of judgment. Do you believe that judgment day is near? You probably say to yourselves, yes, I believe brother, judgment day is near. Follow up question, are we living our life as though we believe judgment day is near? Because if we truly believe judgment day is near, how do we live our life? Apostle Peter says, you ought to live holy and godly 
lives. And so this is our goal. This is our objective, to live holy lives to please our almighty God. And so how does the Bible illustrate the seriousness of God's holiness? I'm going to read Leviticus now, and you're probably familiar with this passage of scripture. Let's go take a look at Leviticus 10, 1 down to 2. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abayu, took their censers. Spause for a while. How many here know Nadab and Abayu? Have you heard about their story before? Yeah. Nadab and Abayu, who were Nadab and Abayu? They were the sons of Aaron. And who was Aaron? He was the one appointed to be the high priest. His sons were to serve as priests. And so he had four sons, Nadab and Abai were two of his sons. And so they were under the tutelage of Aaron, of Moses. God, of course, gave them what they need to learn to carry out the priesthood. And so they knew very well what is required of them. And so Nadab and Abihu, what did they do? Well, they went to worship Yahuwah our God. And so how did they worship Yahuwah our God? Bible says they took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before Yahuwah, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of Yahuwah and consumed them, and they died before Yahuwah. And so Nadab and Abihu, did they worship God? Yes. Did they fulfill their duties as priests before God? Yes. But did God, Yahuwah, our Father, accept their service and worship? What is your answer? Bible says no. What's the proof? God rejected their offering. God rejected their worship. Bible says fire came out from Yahuwah and it consumed Nadab and Abai. That's God's way of saying, I am displeased with what you have done. And so we have to analyze what's wrong, right? I mean, they worship God. They fulfilled their duties as priests. Why did God not accept the worship, the service that was done, conducted by Nadab and Abihu? The answer is there. What does it say? It says they offered unauthorized fire. What does that mean? They offered fire, but the fire that they used was not according to the command of Yahuwah our God. What does that mean? What fire should they have used? What fire did they use instead? You see, we have to understand what went wrong so that we don't repeat that in our life, right? And so we need to, we need to know that we as priests of God today, that we must conduct ourselves according to what is expected from each one of us. So to understand the unauthorized fire mentioned there in scriptures, what was God's law? God's command concerning the fire that burned in the altar. Let's read Leviticus 6, 12 down to 13. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar all times it must never go out so according to scriptures when the fire is that has been used for the burnt offering on the altar when it begins when it starts it must never go out right what fire are we talking about here well 
This is the tabernacle. If you still remember our study concerning the tabernacle, it had three parts, the courtyard, it had the, taber the uh, holy place and the most holy place. In the courtyard, we have the altar of burnt offering. And so when the sacrifice is going to be offered to the father, what happens to the animal after it has been slaughtered? It is taken to the altar. Who takes it to the altar? The priests. The priests will take it to the altar and then it will be consumed by fire as it's offered to our almighty Yahuwah, our God. And so when the altar of burnt offering has been lit by fire, it must remain ablaze. The fire must be ongoing. It must not stop, right? This is why when you understand this part of God's command, it will make sense in Leviticus chapter 10 why Yahuwah was so upset with Nadab and Abide. Now, besides the altar of burnt offering, what also must keep burning perpetually? Exodus 37 to 9, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning. So this is a different altar, right? Where is this altar located? Not in the courtyard, but where? In the holy place, right? So the, the uh, altar of incense that we discussed when we studied the, the tabernacle. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before Yahuwah for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. And so God is very specific about the kind of incense that is to be burned there at the altar of incense. And God is also specific about the kind of fire that is to be used to burn the incense. And so what must also be burning continuously? It is the altar of incense. So we have another law of God concerning the whole tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering, the altar of incense, both must remain burning. Here's my question. Where does the fire come from? The fire that will burn the sacrifices, the fire that will burn the altar of burn, uh, alt that will burn the incense at the altar of incense. Where do you think the fire came from? Let's read the book of Leviticus 9, verse 24. Remember the passage we read about Yahuwah uh, consuming native in the Bible was in Leviticus chapter 10, right? Before Leviticus chapter 10, we have Leviticus chapter 9. In Leviticus, this is the beginning of the tabernacle system. And so what happens? 9.24, fire came out from the presence of Yahuwah and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. And so when they initiated the tabernacle system by presenting to Yahuwah our God the first offerings through this system, fire consumed the offering. Where did the fire come from? Yahuwah. This was not any other fire. This was not man-made fire, man-induced fire. This fire came from who? Yahuwah, our God himself. This was the fire that consumed 
the sacrifice on the altar. That's the fire that is supposed to be maintained by the priest. And then here comes Nadab and Abihu. What did they do? They took their censers. What is a censer? It looks something like that. What they're supposed to do is take the fire from the altar and use that to burn the incense. But instead, what did they do? They used a different fire, unauthorized fire. Instead of using the fire that came from God when the offering was consumed. And so instead of God being pleased, what happened? Fire came out from Yahuwah and it consumed who? Nadab and Abihu. You know, this speaks volumes about the seriousness of holiness. Nowadays, we don't really kind of pay attention, right, to what we do when we worship God. But we should. We should take the, the holiness of God very seriously. In fact, according to Moses, when this happened to Nadab and Bayou, can you imagine what Aaron must have been thinking? Who was Aaron? The father. Can you imagine seeing God smite his own two sons, right? And so when this happened, Moses went to Aaron to tell him why this happened. What did Moses say? What was his commentary about why this happened to Nadab and Abihu? Let's read verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what Yahuwah spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And therefore, all the people I, and, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Undoubtedly, Aaron must have been angry. He must have been surprised, shocked, in awe. He must have been very sad and grief, right? Why did this happen? What was Moses' explanation? He said, Yahuwah spoke, saying, Those who come near me must regard him as holy. You see, when we worship God, for example, this coming Sunday, when we will worship God, we're going to bring ourselves near who? Yahuwah, right? We're going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice before Yahuwah. And so we must recognize and pay attention to the holiness of our Almighty God. Because Yahuwah said the reason why Nadab and Abihu was killed, destroyed by God himself was because they did not show glory to who? Our Almighty God. God was able to sense that. And Aaron knew it. That's why he held his peace. And so Nadab and Abihu, they did not really pay attention to the seriousness of what they were doing. And so they made mistakes. You know, when, you come, when it comes to Nadab and Abihu, they've experienced the presence of God before, right? Because they saw the plagues. They saw the miracles of Yahuwah our God. They heard the voice of Yahuwah our God. They were in the mountain together with the 70 with Yahuwah our God. And so they've tasted the glory of God. They have experience with God. However, keep this in mind, brethren. Just because you have an experience with God, it does not mean it's enough for you to complete your race. Nadab and Abihu, their experience with God is amazing. 
extraordinary, right? Miraculous, which makes you wonder. You probably might say to yourself, I wonder if I was living during that time and I saw all these miracles of God, if ever I'm going to ever lose my faith and be complacent, right? Look at native in the bayou. They experienced the presence of God, but what was their shortcoming? They did not desire to know the words of God, right? The experience is not enough. Yes, we need to have experience during our time, but we need to couple that experience with knowledge, knowledge of God's will. This is why we want to study the Holy Bible. We want to equip our minds with knowledge because the Bible says worship in spirit and truth. Worship with your heart and with your mind. You see, God wants us to know his will, his commandments. And so what should we understand about God's holiness during our time? Hebrews 12, 28, 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire for those who showed god glory for those who showed respect and reverence for his holiness god will bless them but for those who do not for those who do not give glory to god when they worship him when worship becomes just a ritual bible says god is a consuming fire and this was illustrated with nadab and abayu and so after the death of aaron's sons what was instructed by God to be done. Let's read Leviticus 10, 4 to 5, that Moses called for Mishael and Elzaphon, Aaron's cousins, the sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel. He said to them, come forward and carry away the bodies of your relatives from in front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came forward and picked them up by their garments and carried them out of the camp, just as Moses had commanded. Remember the tabernacle. The sanctuary. Is that a holy place? Yeah, that's a holy place. And God does not want mixed the living with the dead. This is why when we have worship service, right, in the house of worship, there are no dead bodies. There should be no dead bodies there, right? Because we, God does not want to mix. There has to be a distinction between life and death. So much so, what did Yahuwah instruct the priests to do? Leviticus 10, 6-7. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not show grief by leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die. And Yahuwah's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. However, the rest of the Israelites, your relatives, may mourn because of Yahuwah's fiery destruction of native and Abiyah. But you must not leave the entrance of the tabernacle or you will die. For you have been anointed with Yahuwah's anointing oil. So they, so they did as Moses commanded. So when they took the body outside of camp or to outside of uh, the tabernacle and the courtyard, what was Yahuwah's instruction to the sons of Aaron? And Aaron, he said, do not show grief, leaving your hair uncombed and by tearing your Close. Take note, Yahuwah did not say, do not show grief. Do not feel your emotions. That's not what God is saying. What is he saying? Yahuwah is saying that do not show your grief by leaving your hair on 
home. You have to maintain your dignity because you're facing the people of Israel, the people of God. And so you must present yourself in a dignified manner because you are representing the priesthood. You are pointing to the coming of the Messiah. This is why you have to maintain that composure, that dignity. However, the rest of the people of Israel, they can mourn in the way that they have been accustomed to mourning. And what also did Yahuwah our God uh, prohibit um, the priests to do, especially Aaron and his sons. Leviticus 21, 10 and 12, the high priest has the highest rank of all the priests. The anointing oil has been poured on his head and he has been ordained to wear the priestly garments. He must never leave his hair uncombed or tear his clothing. He must not defile himself by going near a dead body. He may not make himself ceremonially unclean, even for his father or mother. He must not defile the sanctuary of his God by leaving it to attend to a dead person. For he has been made holy by the anointing oil of his God. I am Yahuwah. Take note, the priests... They were consecrated. They were set apart, right? How? By the anointing oil of our God. During our time, what is the anointing oil equivalent to? The Holy Spirit. Because of the Spirit of God, we have been set apart. When one has been set apart by God, you have certain responsibilities. There are certain things that we must not do. There are certain things that we must do. And so during those days, what did it mean to be a priest? It means you did not do what the others were allowed to do, right? For example, they could not attend a funeral because, as, because they were priests. They were to not be close to, in proximity of, a dead body because they serve in the tabernacle of God. And so they must emphasize life and not death. And so as priests of God, we always celebrate life. The people of God, we look forward to life. This is Yahusha's teaching. This is why when Yahusha, wherever he goes, he heals those who are in need. And when he comes back, he will resurrect those who died through him or in him. It's uh, Yahuwah is making a point here. He's telling us in the future, there's going to be no more mixture between death and life. Because in Yahuwah's name and in Yahusha's ministry, we will live forever and we will defeat death once and for all. Now, because one is a priest, what is, what is he entitled of? Because there are prohibitions. What also are some of the commands? and some of his entitlements. Let's read the book of Leviticus 10, 8 to 11. Then Yahuwah said to Aaron, you and your descendants must never drink wine or any other alcoholic drink before going into the tabernacle. If you do, you will die. I want to pause there for a while. What do you think would be the equivalent of that today? If you're a priest back then, what were you not allowed to do before going to the tabernacle? can't drink wine. What do you do in the tabernacle? You worship God. So before we worship God, it's not appropriate, is it? 
to drink wine? The Bible says that's not good. In fact, if a priest were to do that, what does it say? If you do, what does it say? You will die. This is why when we worship God, when we assemble together for worship, we have to be well prepared. We have to be focused. And if you were drunk, if you drank wine, even if it's just a sip, we are not preparing ourselves for worshiping our Father. This is a permanent law for you, the Bible says, and it must be observed from generation to generation. So it still applies to us, doesn't it? Right? You must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees that Yahuwah has given them through Moses. So we have to live a different kind of life. Our life is holy. What God teaches us to do, we must do. What God says not to do, we must not do. But as priests of God, what are we entitled to? Let's read the book of Leviticus 10, 12 to 13. Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons, Eleazar and Ethamar, take the grain offering left over from the offerings made to Yahuwah by fire and eat it prepared without yeast beside the altar, for it is most holy. It is in a holy place because it is your share and your son's share of the offerings made to Yahuwah by fire. For so I have been commanded. And so they were entitled to a portion of the grain offering. Not just the grain offering, but also that they have a share in. Leviticus 10, 14 and 15. But you and your sons and your daughters may eat the breast that was waved and the thigh that was presented. Eat them in a ceremonially clean place. They have been given to you and your children as your share of the Israelites' fellowship offerings. The thigh that was presented, the breast that was waved, must be brought with the fat portions and the offerings made by fire to be waved before Yahuwah as a wave offering. This will be the regular share for you and your children as Yahuwah has commanded. So they have a share of the bread, a share of also the meat, right? The priests and the priests' family. And so a part of the ceremony, remember, uh, this was the opening ceremony of the tabernacle, the dedication of the tabernacle. Part of that offering was the sin offering. And so there's something that happened during the sin offering. What was that? Leviticus 10, 16 and 18, when Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it had been burned up, he was angry with Eleazar and Ethamar, Aaron's remaining sons. How many sons did Moses have? I mean, did Aaron have? Four, the first two, what happened to them? They were killed, right? Because they offered profane fire or unauthorized fire. Aaron had two other sons who were also priests. What are their names? Eleazar and Ethamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before Yahuwah. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary area as high as I commanded. What do you notice here? Was there another mistake? Another mistake, right? Another error when it comes to the giving of offering. 
this time Aaron and Aaron's two sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, they were guilty of this mistake. What did the law say? They were supposed to eat the, the, their portion in a clean area. Where did that command come from? Leviticus 6, 24, 26. And Yahuwah said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the sin offering. The animal given as an offering for sin is a most holy offering. And it must be slaughtered in Yahuwah's presence at the place where the burnt offerings are slaughtered. The priest who offers the sacrifice as a sin offering must eat his portion in a sacred place within the courtyard of the temple. So what was God's strict command concerning the sin offering when the priest presents it to the Father, Yahuwah? What is the command? They're supposed to eat their portion, right? The priest who gave the offering must eat his portion. Aaron and his two sons, well, they gave their sin offering. But what was their mistake? They did not eat the meat. They did not eat their portion. And so Moses was upset. Moses was angry. I wonder if God was angry too. What do you think? We're talking about the holiness of God, right? And so what do you think happened to Eleazar and Ethamar? What do you think happened to them? Let's find out. Leviticus 10, 19 and 20. Then Aaron answered Moses, Today my sons presented both their sin offering and their burnt offering to Yahuwah. And yet this tragedy has happened to me. If I had eaten the people's sin offering on such a tragic day as this, would Yahuwah have been pleased? And when Moses heard this, he was satisfied. Aaron said to Moses, Yeah, we know we didn't eat it consider what happened to us we are in no mood to eat he just lost his sons they just lost their brothers and so they were going through emotional turmoil right they were grieving and this is what they were feeling and Yahuwah took that into consideration because God considered human weakness right but God will not consider human foolishness you see the difference when Nadab and Abayu offered profane fire there's no excuse for that but in this case because of human weakness because of human emotion God understands and so instead of punishing them God did not do that God understood so God is a merciful God. Yes, he's a holy God. And we must take this holiness of our Father seriously. But God is also a merciful God. And he has forgiven Aaron and his two sons. In fact, because of God's understanding, because of his love, you know what he did for our sake? Let's read one more passage. Hebrews 4, 14, 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Yahushua, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. A 
We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy, find grace, and help us in our time of need. Because of God's love for us, because he knows that we are weak. What did he do? He gave us a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Yahusha the Christ. And so we can approach with confidence God's presence through Yahusha, the Son of God, because in Him, what can we find? Mercy and grace. Perpetual mercy and grace. You know, if it wasn't for Yahuwah's mercy and grace, Aaron's other sons and Aaron himself probably will also die. But because of God's mercy, not only give Aaron and his sons. He gave us Yahushua, HaMashiach, to be our high priest. And so, brethren, we can be confident. Yes, we commit sin. We do our best to live a holy life. We should continue to do that. But if ever we falter, we stumble, we commit sin, brethren, let's remember what Yahuwah God has done for us through his son, Yahushua. Let us return to our Father and receive the mercy and grace that we can find when we approach Him. Okay? All right, that's our lesson. Let's go now to our mailbox. The first um, question, we have three questions today, just three, really fast. Let's go to this one. I would like to ask some questions with regards to cremation, which we already discussed before, right? Numerous times. As I live in a land of culture, that cremation is highly preferred in burial. And also where our ashes will be poured to the sea. Lesson about burial was not taught, was only taught once in the blue moon in the INC. I understand if the body has been decomposed, we are allowed to cremate our loved ones. I wonder if you agree on that which was taught by the INC. I've never heard of that teaching from the INC that if it's decomposed, you can go ahead and burn it. I don't know where that came from. Okay, to, to be fair, I don't think it's an official INC teaching, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I could be wrong, but I believe the INC does not spot, they do not teach cremation. INC teaches burial. And do I agree with, with the teaching of INC? Yes. I absolutely agree that we have, we should bury the dead, not cremate the dead. Well, is there a biblical teaching, a biblical command that says, you must not cremate the dead? Is there? There's none. Well, then why are we advised not to cremate the dead? Because there are biblical principles that point to the direction of burial, not cremation. What does that mean? Let's go to Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourselves, but to God brought you for a price, so use your bodies for God's glory. And so what must we consider before making a decision about what to do with our body in case we do die? We need to remember that our body doesn't really belong to us because we were purchased. Our body belongs to who? Our God. Is our body precious to God? Yes, it's the temple of the Holy spirit and so if it is to be used it should be used for the glory of 
God. So how do we use our body for the glory of God? Well, we have to accept that after we die, we have certain desires or certain wills, a will about what to do with our body. How can we glorify God even after we have passed? Well, if we are to look in Scripture, burial is the pattern of God's people throughout Scriptures. Neither the Old Testament Jews nor the New Testament Christians cremated their dead. That should speak volumes, right? Not one incident, not one case where they cremated the dead. Rather, they washed the body, wrapped it in clean clothes with spices, and placed it in the, in the ground or in a tomb. So clearly, they show a respect for the human body, even if it's already dead, right? What's the proof of this? Yahusha, in John 19, the two men, uh, the two men in Yahusha's body, and wrapped it in linen clothes with the spices according to the Jewish custom and preparing the body for burial. There was a garden, the place where Yahusha has been put to death, and in it, there was a new tomb where no one has been buried since it was the day before the Sabbath, the Shabbat, and because the tomb was close by, they placed Yahusha's body there. And so Yahusha, when he died, what happened to his body? It was buried. Christians buried their fellow Christians. The Old Testament servants of God, they buried their fellow Jews. But on the other hand, there were an instance of cremation in the Bible. In Amos 2.1, Yahuwah says the people of Moab have sinned again and again. And for this, I will certainly punish them. They dishonored the bones of the king of Edom by burning them to ashes. And so burning, burning a person to ashes, which by definition is what? Cremation is a way of dishonoring your body. And so we don't practice cremation because we follow the biblical pattern of God's people, what they do with their dead. And we look at this passage, which tells us one way of dishonoring a body is by burning it into ashes. We understand there are customs, there are cultures want you to, or they lead you to cremation, right? However, Apostle Paul does tell us in Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You know, we all live in a culture, right? However, we have to use discernment so that we can see the difference and we can know the difference between what God wants and what God doesn't want, right? And so what should dictate our attitudes, our beliefs, our actions? Not worldly customs, but the will of our almighty God. We know God's will through the scripture concerning what happens to those who have died is that they're buried. So this is what we practice as members of the church of Yahusha. Another question, my question, my questions are if organ donation is allowed by God, if people died in the fire or bomb or even when bodies are already mutilated and is non-recognizable. How about tattoo? This has been some argument or reasoning out by brethren who are of a different race, culture, and country. So the question is, are we allowed to give um, our, our organs for donation? What do you think? Yes, no, maybe? 
Ants, what do you think? <laughs> yeah? I'm kind of inclined to believe yes. Right? But there are people who actually make a biblical argument and say, no, we should not give our organs away for, to, for donation. What is their biblical stand? What is the biblical passage to support um, their belief? Well, this is what it says in Corinthians 6, 18 and 20, which we read earlier. Don't you know that your body is a temple? That belongs to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit whom you receive from God lives in you. You don't belong to yourselves. You were bought for a price to bring glory to God in the way that use your body. So there are some who cite this passage and say we should not give our organs for donation because our body will not be complete. And that's a way of desecrating the temple or your body. And the Bible says we have to use our body to please or glorify our almighty God. Do we agree? That we ought to use our bodies to glorify God. Yes. However, when Apostle Paul gave that statement, what was the context? We read 19 to 20. Let's go read verse 18. It says, stay away from sexual sins. Other sins that people commit don't affect their bodies the same way sexual sins do. People who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. And so Apostle Paul was writing to the Christians in Corinth. Because the Corinthians, they were becoming infamous because of their sexual immorality. And so Apostle Paul said, your body was not was purchased by God. It doesn't belong to you. You should use your body in a way that pleases our God. What is one way that we use our body to please our God? Let us not engage in sexual immorality. But when it comes to giving an organ from your body, is, is God not glorified with that? Before we answer that question, let's ask, for example, Yahusha. What would he say if by giving an organ, right, or donating an organ, it will save someone's life? This is what he said in John 15, 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Right? So if we were to donate our organ, because it will help save a life. I think Yahushua is going to be pleased with that. Why? Because not only did he say that, he also did that. In, in Luke 22, 19, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this too. Remember me. Yahushua gave up his own body for the salvation of many. Right? Does that glorify God? Yes. And so if we give up our organ to help someone in need, I think God will be glorified as well. This is why I don't believe there's anything wrong with giving your organ. If sign, There's nothing wrong with signing up as an organ donor, for example, after you die. Or take your lungs or your liver. If it's going to help someone who's in need, I think that's a blessing. Remember, when God gives a command, He's always thinking, of, he's thinking about the welfare of human beings. That's the kind of God we have, a benevolent father who wants people to receive what is needed for their well-being. And so if we could be an instrument to give life or to help with life, God will be glorified with that. Another reason, though, why some people do not want to give a donation, uh, do not want to donate parts of their body, is because they think if, for example, they have their heart donated, 
when they're resurrected, they're, they all have heart. <laughs> this, is, yeah, this is what was believed by many Christians, like in the second century, third century, first century, where they had that kind of thinking or mentality. But what did Apostle Paul say? First Corinthians 15, 50, what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. Here's my question. The heart that you have now, the lungs that you have now, okay? Are we going to bring that to heaven with us? No, because our lungs and our heart and whatever body parts we have inside of us, that's not qualified to go to the kingdom of God. This is why our whole body is going to be changed. What we have now, we don't get to take to heaven. What we take to heaven is the body that has been transformed into a glorious body, like the body of Yerusha. That's what we take to us in heaven. So if we have no body parts when Yahusha comes back, does it mean that we can't be resurrected? Of course we can still be resurrected. But can we say the same thing if one has been cremated? Let's say, for example, you did not want to be cremated but you were cremated, or like what was asked earlier, if you were in an explosion and your body was blown up into smithereens, right? Does that mean God cannot reconstruct you anymore? What do you think? He can. You know, what's the proof? Ephesians 1, 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Even before he created the heavens and the earth, what did God create in his mind? His plan concerning us. He already knew how we would look like, what our jobs is going to be, how much we weigh. He already knew the DNA that would compose our physical nature. God already knew that before creating the heavens and the earth. And when he created the heavens and the earth, did he have materials to begin with? No. Out of nothing, he created all things. And before he created all things, we were in his mind. This is why it's not a big deal. Even if you were blown up in smithereens, God can reconstruct you because he is the author and the creator of all things in the first place. Okay? All right, let's go to our last question. Growing up in the INC institution, I never experienced nor heard Brother Iranyo Manalo call for a rally or protest on the street. I want to pause there for a while. The one who gave this question was probably not aware back in 2000. Was it 2000? Me and more? 2001? Yeah, I was in the Philippines in 2001. Yeah, there was a protest. A rally? Was there a rally? Yeah. I'm trying to reconstruct the events in my mind. But this was Brother Iranya Manalo's instruction. It was in EDSA. It was in EDSA. And the church members were called to go there for a rally or a protest against um, the fact that uh, I think President Era, who was president during that time, he was, what happened to him? I guess he was imprisoned for corruption. I don't know the exact details. However, there was a rally that was led or the instruction was given by Brother Iranji Manal. I, I mean, I want to be fair with, with, with INC, okay? 
<laughs> to be fair, Brother Irby did lead uh, or led a rally or a protest in Edsa. But in 2015, the EVM's administration held a mass rally along Edsa against Secretary Lila de Lima for moving forward the case against INC institutions human rights violation of Brother Irani Manal's family. This also includes their persecutions of those brethren who helped and defended the family ministers and their family and most of all the faith. In this rally, brethren were shouting hostesia, followed by saying INC, INC. INC ministers are the ones leading uh, these brethren. Biblically speaking, if I join a peaceful rally, for example, for racism, for abuse of power today, would I be violating any of the Bible scriptures? As Yahushan's book, are rallying and protesting the way to publicly address our concern about any church institution or offices like governments who have the tendency to abuse their power. Okay, so let's go and address the question. Let's separate the issue from what the INC did, okay? Let's address the issue which is at the forefront of our thoughts right now, which is what is happening in many parts of the United States and even the world. What is that? There are many rallies and protests going on, Black Lives Matter, am I right? And so the question is, if I join a rally that is peaceful for racism, so I can voice my concern because people are in danger of losing their lives, people feel threatened by racism, and we can definitely empathize, we understand where this is coming from, right? So is it against the will of God? Is it against biblical scriptures for us to join a peaceful rally? It depends. What's the purpose of your rally? What message are you conveying? If it's a biblical message, yeah, right? But if, you go, if the purpose of your rally is to support a person who's corrupt, then I don't think that's biblical. Right? But if it is a biblical theme, for example, you are giving voice to the oppressed, do you think that's a biblical theme? I think so. But even if it's a biblical theme that we are voicing out by means of going to a peaceful rally, let us understand, please, that we have to be guided by the Bible. Okay? So if you want to join a peaceful rally, we need to receive the biblical guidelines for rally participation. There you got it. I'm going to give you three. Three biblical guidelines for rally participation. I'm not telling you to go ahead and go to the rally. <coughs> but if you were to do so, we have to follow these guidelines. What is one? Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness no one will see the lord so part of our holiness which is required if you want to see the lord we have to maintain the peace right and so if we're going to participate in a rally because our desire is we want to instigate something that is exciting to you because you want to instigate fighting, because you're bored with life. 
Sometimes there are people who do that, right? Their purpose is not to create peace. If our purpose is not to create peace, don't even go. It should be a peaceful rally, not a rally that leads to violence, but is against the will of our God. And so we should make every effort to live in peace. As a matter of fact, if we are true children of God, what does Yahusha call us? Matthew 5, verse 9, one of the Beatitudes of Yahusha. God blesses those who work for peace. You're going to go on a rally? Your purpose is peace. It has to be a peaceful rally, or they will be called the children of God. So always remember, we are peacemakers, not trouble makers. If we're going to do a rally because we want to create trouble, like looting and violence and desecration of property, then we are not, we are not doing it according to the will of our Father. Okay? And so if we are going in peace, what should we never do? Revelation 12, Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge. You're going to go on the rally and you have a baseball bat? You're going to go on the rally and you have weapons? Right? You're going to go on a rally with intent to harm? Then you are taking revenge. Apostle Paul says, no, don't do that. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And so, yes, there's injustice. Yes, sin has been committed. Yes, one's rights has been violated. However, the Bible does say, do not take revenge. Do not take revenge. Why? Leave room for God's wrath. It's not our business to take revenge. It's not our business to carry out the punishment. Whose business is that? That's God's business. Right? And so leave room for God's wrath. Do not take revenge. And even if they speak evil against us and insult us, what should be our response? First Peter 3 verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. See, this is what makes us different. We don't behave in the same way an ordinary human being behaves. Because an ordinary human being, by nature, if you do something wrong to them, what will they do? They will do something wrong against you, right? But we're different. Apostle Peter says, do not repay evil for evil, insult for insult. Instead, repay with a blessing. So if we're going to go on a rally, we have to have that mindset that we will repay with a blessing, even if they insult us. Because we want to maintain what? Peace. Because we are peacemakers. And who's the best example of a peacemaker? Yahusha himself. Take a look at this. Luke 22, 49 to 50. When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? <laughs> we brought the swords. One of them stuck, a struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. This was the, the night when Yahushua was betrayed by Judas, right? And he was about to get arrested. His disciples noticed what was about to happen, and they were ready to what? They were ready to fight. Were they fighting for a good reason? Yeah, they want to defend their master, right? Because his rights were going to be violated. And so they had every reason to protest, right? But what did they want to do in their protest? They wanted to fight. 
one of them took out a sword and he cut the ear off of one of the slaves of the high priest. Imagine that. When Yahusha saw this, did he say to this person who struck at the high priest slave, oh, you are truly my loyal servant. You are blessed indeed. Is that what Yahusha said? You are very, very courageous. I admire your tenacity and your courage. What did Yahusha say? Let's read Matthew 26. Put away your sword. Yahusha told him, those who use the sword will die by the sword. And you know what Yahusha did to that uh, poor fellow's ear? Yahusha did this. Well, what, was that, what does that mean? Well, you know, when Yahusha will do that to your ear, it restores the ear. <laughs> so Yahusha restored the ear to point, to teach the disciples, we don't live by the sword. Because if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. He was teaching us by example. We are not to respond by, by violence. We must be peacemakers. So that's number one. You're going to go on a rally? Okay. Be peacemakers, not troublemakers. Well, what's the point of going to a rally when we cannot take revenge? What will be the point of going to a rally? Well, let's read Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You're going on a protest, you want to be heard, right? And so when we want to be heard, what do we usually do? Unfortunately, sometimes when we want to be heard by the person we're talking to, we raise our, what do we do? We raise our voice. Has that happened to you before? You're talking to your kid, you're talking to your spouse, you're having an argument, and you're sensing this person is not listening to me. I want to be heard. And so what do they do? Aggression goes up, volume goes up. Is it effective? Is it effective communication? No. What's effective communication? Light, right? Light. That's what Yahushua said. You have to be light. You're the light of the world. Well, how can we be effective light of the world? By our good deeds. Imagine this. You're a protester. You're protesting maybe the police force, authority, whatever. And you bring with you bread. You bring with you food, right? You show good deeds. Do you think your message will be better heard if it's like that? I think so. Right? I mean, I, we understand that we are driven by a lot of anger and a lot of concern because we feel threatened, right? But if we really want to communicate our message, it should be with light, with light. How else can we be light so that we can be effective when we do our protesting? Let's read Ephesians 5, 10 to 14. Carefully, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. How else can we be lights of the world? When we use the light, the word of God, to shine 
on the evil intentions, right? This is why we have to understand the difference between what is right and what is wrong. You're participating in a rally. You know, what does the Bible say? That's what you present. What word of God has been violated? That's what you present. We expose the wrongdoing by presenting the word of God. And so we do have a message. However, that message, if you want to be clearly heard, has to be, has to be done in a way that can be accepted by the other party. So be peacemakers, number one. Number two, be lights of the world. So we have a message, right? We have a message. How do we say that message? Because if you're going to go to a rally, you have a message. There's something you want done, all right? And so how do you present that light? How do you present that message? Let's read the book of Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled on a foot as worthless. We have to pepper our message with salt, right? We have light, which is the message of God. We present that to the people. However, we have to present it with salt in a way that makes it acceptable. You know what I'm trying to say? Because what is the purpose of salt? What does it say there? It's for flavor, right? And so if you bring to someone a plate of food and it's bland and they don't want to eat it, they don't want to receive it because it's bland, what do you do? Put some salt makes it taste better, and then they will better receive it, right? And so we, when we have a message, we have to give it with salt. We have to present it with salt. Well, how can we do that? What does it mean to present it with salt? Well, in the book of Colossians 4, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So we have a message. God's word that we want to present, that we want to carry with us in this rally. We must present it with speech that is with grace and seasoned with salt. What does it mean? It's seasoned with salt. Colossians 4, 5 to 6, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. And so what does it mean? to season our speech with salt. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. So we probably will be carrying placards with us, right? Got like a big sign. What's on that sign? Did you read it? Is it salty? <laughs> Maybe I didn't use a word, the right word. What's on the sign? Is it gracious and attractive? Will it lead to the right response? You see, if we have a nice message, but we present it in a way that people will be repulsed by it, then we're not behaving as salt. Well, salt, besides being a flavoring, what also is the purpose of salt? Huh? Yeah, it's a preservative. This is why if you have a wound, you have a wound, and you apply salt on the wound, what happens? You say, ouch. <laughs> it hurts, but at the same time, you know what's beginning to take place. It's going to start healing, right? When you put, when you apply salt on your wounds, it's going to initiate the healing process. 
right? Because it's a preservative. It's going to cleanse you. When one is going to a protest, you are protesting something. And so what you want is to restore what is not there anymore, right? You are in conflict with someone, so you want resolution. And so to be solved, what we want is to heal the wound that separates the two parties. And so how do we do that? How can we be effective salt in that manner? Let's read Colossians 3.12 down to 14 as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. How can we be salt of the earth so that when we bring our message for the purpose of restoration, it leads to perfect harmony? The Bible says we have to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and most of all, what does it say at the bottom? We have to clothe ourselves with what? With love, right? And that's the missing ingredient. You see, without love, the protest will just be a protest. The rally will just be a rally. But if we add love to it, it becomes transformative. What kind of transformation? It leads to perfect harmony. Isn't that what we want? You see, before we go to a rally, we have to, it has to be clear in our mind. Okay, what outcome do I want? You're going to go on a rally. Okay, what do you want to happen because of the rally? Do you have that? What do we want to happen? Because if we don't have that, then how can we heal? It has to be clear to us what the message is, how it's delivered, and what the outcome of the message is. And it should be harmony. It should be harmony. For that to happen, we need to learn to forgive each other. But for us to learn to forgive each other, we have to submit a request, right? We have a rally. It should be in our placards. Okay, what is your request? What do you want will satisfy you so that we can begin the healing process? We can forgive each other and by love live in harmony. And a lot of times it's missing. They go on a rally, but they're not making a request. What do they really want? Okay. And when we have that and everything's all in place, then the rally will be transformative. And so if you're planning on joining a rally, then let's observe the biblical guidelines. Number one, be peacemakers. Number two, be lights of the world. Number three, be salt of the earth. Our purpose, reconciliation. Our purpose, our purpose, harmony. This must be our purpose because the Bible says, we were called by God to be holy. And as holy, chosen by God, we are to lead the charge towards peace, love, and reconciliation. Okay? That's our lesson for today. Let us all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes, Thank you so much, Yahuwah our God. Yes, Father. For blessing us with your wisdom. Yes. Teach us to be humble. Yes, Lord. Help us to make the decision. Yes, Lord. To clothe ourselves with love and compassion. Yes, Lord. So that when we interact with our fellow human beings, yes, 
we will respond with love. Yes. Speech that is seasoned with salt. Yes. Gracious and loving in our actions and deeds. Yes. By your light, Father, we can achieve and we can see a transformation that leads to harmony and peace. Amen. Help us to be your true peacemakers. Yes. Teach us to live holy lives, yes. to respect you, to revere you, to serve and worship you in all. Yes. Father, please forgive us our sins. Yes. Because we confess to you there have been times in our life yes. when we have not been completely prepared yes. whenever we assemble together for worship. Amen. We understand now that holiness is important to you. Yes. Because of your holiness and righteousness, there was a need for one man to die for our yes. sins. That happens to be your beloved son. Father, we know why you did it. You love us. You love us so much. Yes. So that we can approach you, be your sons and daughters. So, Father, thank you. Accept now our praises and help us to be repentant. Yes. And to truly live our life according to your holy will and plan. Yahusha HaMashiach, our Messiah and Lord. King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes. Thank you so much for what you have done for us. Yes. We will follow you and be peacemakers. Yes. Help us to do our best to help those who are in need, those who are oppressed. Yes. Help us to be faithful to you at all times in our life. Amen. Father, please continue to work in our hearts that we will always have a heart that is pure. But Father, when we worship you, you will be pleased with each one of us. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.